0: Hello friends, we have two more launch day guests with full-length episodes to release before diving into some new interviews for you. Today on the podcast, we have guest number six of our launch day lineup. Her name is Diana Guintu. Uh, In this full-length episode, we talk about everything from self-care to trauma to money stories, and our guest shares her stories on how she leveraged her own experience as a teen to a life of service to help others through their own pain. So stay tuned. You ever find yourself asking, why isn't this taught in school? My entrepreneurial and parenthood journeys really highlighted the gap between what the world needs and what our schools are actually teaching, and how woefully unprepared most people are to achieve their greatest dreams. The people truly winning in a postmodern economy have a different set of skills that aren't taught in school and are privy to information not taught to the masses. With that in mind, we invite you on our journey to glean from the world's most successful leaders and icons of industry the real skills the next generation needs moving forward. We are on a mission to help teens skip the lunch line for the front line of a movement, empowered with the knowledge and skills needed to thrive in a fast-paced, dynamic, ever-changing world. This is Skipping Lunch Lines. We're glad you're here. Hello, winners. Glad you're all here for another episode. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of introducing you all to Diana Guintu, Diana has been a licensed professional counselor for 20 years and has worked in a variety of places, including uh, domestic abuse shelters, um, as well as owning her own private practice. In the last 10 years, Diana has been in the coaching space and using her clinical skills to help individuals improve their overall health. Her current mission is to empower women everywhere to prioritize themselves without guilt or shame. In addition to her one-on-one coaching services, she also has a passion for motivational speaking and has recently published her first book, Breaking Free. She has been married for 19 years to her husband who she met at Denny's restaurant. They have two beautiful children, 16-year-old Ethan and 11-year-old daughter, Elena. Diana, it's so great to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you so much, Dara, for having me here. I am excited.
0: Thank you. So Diana, I'd really love to start our interview with this question. What three words would you use to describe yourself today?
1: Um, I think I'm inspiring. I think a lot of people would say that I have a very positive outlook in life. So I, I, I definitely can inspire people. Um, I am influential. Um, I find that there's, there's a, a, that's a gift that was passed down to me. I find that I I really can um, influence people to be their best self. And the third one would probably be Funny. I think I'm pretty funny, to be honest. I might not. uh, It might not come across in a professional podcast, but um, but my friends find me very, very funny.
0: That's awesome. So one of the words that you used to describe yourself was influential, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel that you were able to develop that? You, You said it was something that you kind of were kind of taught as a child. So how did that play out in your life that you became an influential person?
1: You know, I was, I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. And, and one of the things that was very encouraged by my grandfather, um, I was very close to my grandfather and he would sit me on his lap and he would tell me, you know, tell me a story and I would make up stories. Right. And and that was kind of our connection. And I find that when I tell a story, um, usually my stories come out with a lot of passion. I feel a lot of passion when I'm talking about a story, something that has happened or something that I'm excited about. And that really gets people to have that curiosity of like, hmm, tell me more about that. So so I definitely think that um, a part of the influence that that i have is the ability to tell stories that matter
0: oh i like that and so it sounds like your grandfather nourished that skill in you um the ability to tell stories and you know i come from um a storytelling background as well a culture that's all about storytelling um and so i can totally relate to that because you know storytelling is everything in a lot of cultures so I read in your book that you were one of five children uh, born to immigrant parents who didn't speak English and who did work mostly in agriculture. Um, how did your childhood help to define you? Uh, you know it gave me a lot of strength. I think that I had to
1: grow up very quickly, especially coming from parents that did not speak the language. There was a lot of times in you know grocery stores and meetings at banks at you know school functions that we as the kids had to translate for our parents. And so, you know, they came to us for a lot of direction of what was needed in school, what was acceptable. And I mean, I will have to say that there were times where I swayed it my way, <laughs> for sure, in the translation. But, but I think just, you know, having to know that, um, that your family's depending on you, Definitely played a part in me kind of having to grow up a little bit sooner than maybe if that wasn't the case.
0: So it sounds like you you learned to be responsible Mm -hmm. pretty early, Um, and then and also you learned the interconnectedness of being in a Mm -hmm. family, which I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily have that nowadays. Um, They don't feel the sense of responsibility to. you know, parents feel the responsibility towards their children, but a lot of times children don't feel that same responsibility towards their parents. And so I'm, I'm wondering, is that, was that a cultural thing, do you think? Or just a, is it more of like a, based on an economic thing?
1: I, I think it's both. I think um, definitely culture. I come from a Hispanic family. So family is very, very important. Um, and, and it's very much about like, help your parents, help the elders, you know. But also I think that we, we had a sense, I tell my kids this story because uh, there were five kids in our family and we were, we were very poor, you know Um, I think we were on welfare and, and food stamps and stuff like that. And I remember Saturday mornings, my father and mom would, you know, mother would go and get groceries. And the minute that the car pulled in all of us, would go outside to help with the groceries. Like I don't ever remember my parents ever asking us to do that. Like it was just so instinctual. We would just like, hear the car in the driveway and we knew, oh, it's time to step up. Like we all, all of us, like all five kids, <laughs> no matter what age you went and you helped with the groceries, And that's one of the things that I always tell my kids, like I shouldn't have to ask you if you see me with bags.
0: Oh boy, I know that one. Like,
1: like like your instinct should be to help me, you know? But I think it's just, you know, it's one of those things that it I don't know how my parents did it. I mean, because I don't necessarily feel like they told us the way I'm telling my kids, you know. I mean, it, it just part was part of the system. We knew that we all had to help out.
0: So, you know, and um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of times people who come from kind of challenging situations, mm-hmm. you know, like you hear those stories of kids who are talking to Santa and what do they want for Christmas? For their single mom, they want a vacuum cleaner for their mom. Right. You know, they, they have, they're really selfless uh, a lot of times. And so I'm just wondering, in terms of your background with counseling, how do you think those type of experiences where the child is kind of really forced to grow up and be more responsible than a lot of times and like their peers? Like, how do you think that affects them moving into adulthood? For me,
1: going into counseling was a way to personal heal. I, I, you know, I had some trauma growing up. And so I definitely felt like, I wanted to be the person that I couldn't find in my life. And that is that, um, when I was going through my trauma, I didn't feel like there was someone that could help me. And, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, whether there was or not, you know, I always tell people like, just because we tell our kids to come to us doesn't mean they will. Like it just, it doesn't, I wish it did. Um, right. But I did feel like there was no one on my side that truly understood what mm-hmm. it meant. And so, so when, you know, so as I grew older, I just wanted to become that person for someone else. And that really was the driving point for me in seeking a life of service, of seeking a life of helping others in pain, because I didn't want anyone to feel how I felt when I was in pain. Right. Right.
0: So when you were in pain, like, what are some of the things that you would do to really help yourself? Because obviously, you've come out beautifully on the other end with the heart of service. Um, But, you know, and I don't know how much you want to go into the trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I know what your story is, because it's in the book. Right, Um, right. But you came out on the other end quite beautifully, and you have this heart of service, you know, you're raising two beautiful children with your husband. Uh, So you seem to be in a lot, a lot better place. And so what was it? And you you just mentioned that you felt kind of alone and like, you didn't Mm -hmm. feel like you had anyone to talk to. So what did the younger Diana do, pull herself up by the bootstraps, so to say, you know, so to speak, to get to where you're at today?
1: You know, I think a turning point, and I share the story in my book, Breaking Free, I share the story of Um, just for your listeners, uh, I was sexually abused as an early preteen. And um, I, I I checked out this book from the library on sexual abuse, you know, this was like 30 something years ago. And there was not movies about it. There wasn't shows, there wasn't like, you know, anything that was really talking about this, at least in my realm of knowledge, I didn't hear about what was what happened to me. And so, um, so I went to the library and I kind of like, you know, pretended that there was like a book report I had to write. And so I checked this book on on sexual abuse. And, um, and when I started reading it, I was just like, so shocked with kind of like all the negative effects of abuse. And they, the book really was talking about kind of forecasting, like people that have been sexual abused, turned to drugs, prostitution, homeless, like it was just, it sounded like, whoa, like that is a horrible picture (laughs) that awaits me. You know, now I do have to say, and I say it in the book too, like, I don't know what the end of the book had because I stopped reading. I just like, I closed the book and I thought to myself, like, no way no way. Like that's not the way it's going to go. I'm telling you right now, that is not going to be me. And so it just was like this internal like switch went off and I made the decision that I was going to go all in in proving that book wrong. And so so I would sit and, you know, face my mirror every every day And I would tell myself, I would, I like became my biggest cheerleader. And I would tell myself, like, you can do this. You're going to make good choices. You're not going to. And I grew up in a very, you know, it was a very poor town and there were gangs and there was some drugs around that I could probably have easily gotten into. Um, And Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. There was like a lot of misbehavior for sure. I mean, I did my, you know, I, I did a lot of lying during that time. Um, I did a lot of lying, a lot of kind of sneaking out, but never being caught. You know, Um, my mom, (laughs) my mom now, when she knows kind of, you know, we've had conversations as adults and she can't even believe, but I just never got caught. I mean, that's the truth. I was, I was pretty uh, ninja. (laughs) I didn't get caught, but, uh, but there was some acting out, but it was never crossing the line. Like I always felt like there was this invisible line that I was not willing to cross. And that's because if I crossed it, I knew that I was at high risk for what that book had said.
0: Wow. So it sounds like even from that age, you're, how old were you at that time? I want to say
1: I was maybe 14, 15 around that age when I really started to kind of have that knowledge of like, I got to do something like i have to make it different and um and so yeah i mean again there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of dysfunction i don't want to per your listeners to think that i just was like oh yeah i'm gonna change but i think that underneath there was a will to fight for myself
0: right it's like underneath all you were acting out um more it's, it's kind of like the cry for help, right? You know? Right. Exactly.
1: Um, Yeah. So you're crying
0: out for help through your acts, you know, your actions, but at your core, you understood your value. You understood your worth, even, even though maybe at that time you didn't feel like you were worthy of anything, you know? Um, and I think, do you think that a lot of that has to do with like how close your family was? And and so that's why you were able to, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you obviously felt the love of your parents and your grandparents. A lot of a lot of people nowadays don't really have that close relationship with their grandparents. Um, so do you think that that's where that's stemmed from or why you had that underlying belief in your worth, even, you know, despite everything yeah, that think, you were going through?
1: Yeah, I definitely think I had a really good foundation, right? I had a really good foundation that helped me, that I leaned into, right? Because I did have a good, um, a good, a good life. I mean, I, I had people that loved me and I did know that. So when I say I felt alone, it was more of an alone of like, no one knows, no one can know this. And so when you are having to hide a secret, there is a loneliness about it because you're being someone, for example, in high school, just to kind of tell you a little bit of like how I was hiding it and I was living like this, like secret life is, I mean, I was like captain of the cheerleading team. I was like national honor society. I was, um, you know, I was like, you know, uh, what do you call it? President stuff, prom queen. Like I had a lot of things happening that if you just saw through the window, you'd be like, Oh, like she, nothing is wrong with her. And that was my intent. (laughs) That was my intent is to be something so over the top different In that book. Um, but there was the loneliness about it because I wasn't, um, you know, no one knew my secret that I was carrying and, and that was heavy. That was heavy. Um, trying to balance that as a teenager. I mean, it definitely presented its challenges, but I, I definitely agree that there was a good base there with how I grew up and the safety of, um, you know, like the love of my overall family, grandparents and stuff like that. So so that did provide something to lean on during that chaos.
0: Right. And so if, if a, a listener is out there and they maybe have teenage kids who are acting out, um, how would you advise them to deal with, you know? Here's the thing. One of the things that, and this is what happened,
1: once the first person that I finally told Mm -hmm. she just asked me like she was able to see some of the dysfunction right and she literally just asked me has anything happened to you and I said yes (laughs) and it was like I didn't lie about it but no one had asked me ever no one and and this was already when I was almost like an adult like 17 18 you know so right so I think that ask your children because I think that if if you know, if somebody would have asked me, I would have said it. Right. But I mean, one, I was lying and two, I was definitely, I mean, I had set up externally a lot of evidence that said I was perfectly fine. So, um, so I, I know that even though I was acting out, um, there were a lot of things that were working for me. So I don't know as a parent, if, um, if that would have been very like in your face right like oh right. she's acting out or i was the last of five so um so you know and my parents were like this is probably just regular teenage stuff you know they've put up with other teenage stuff. so so i think that the one thing i would just say is just ask be direct and you're asking if you feel that your teen is in trouble if you feel that there's something not right um i think that you will be surprised how ready they are to say something.
0: Right. So the next thing I kind of want to talk about it kind of feels weird to just kind of jump around, but um, I'm just gonna <laughs> <go>. <laughs> I'll probably have to edit this somehow a little bit. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask you is your, about your childhood impact um, with regards to like money um, mm-hmm. and how being raised in an immigrant family, well, not necessarily an immigrant family, but you know, like a, Mm -hmm. And I have a family who's, you know, obviously doesn't have a lot of resources, um, how that impacted your beliefs about money and money mindset.
1: Um, I definitely think that it played a huge role. Um, when you grow up with the thought of, um, we don't have money and everything, what my dad was, you know, again, and he came here, he was a hard worker and for him, everything was about necessity. Do we need mm-hmm. that? And, you know, as a kid, as a kid, um, you, you want things. <laughs> you want things you don't need, right? And, uh, and my dad was very quick to say no. He was like a no man, you know? Um, dad cannot, no, like right away. Um, he didn't indulge in kind of that fantasy of like, you can have more, you can have everything you want. Um, So everything was very based on need. And so when you grow up around that, you do absorb that. Um, You absorb that money is hard to get. Um, Mm -hmm. I would see other people with money and I would think to myself, we're not the lucky ones. You know, like we're not lucky because I saw my dad work. And my dad worked really hard. So it wasn't about like that, having that belief, like, if you work hard, you'll make money. Because to me, I was like, he is working hard. He's not making any money. (laughs) So, so I really felt like it's just not for me. Like, that's not my, that's not my story. Like, I'm not supposed to have money. And when you kind of grow, like there's, there's, there's sudden dysfunction there. Right. Because, um, You, you don't allow yourself to have big dreams, even though there were parts where I, you know, like I came to the university, even though my parents were like, how are you going to go there? I was like, I don't know, but I'm going. And there was a part of me that really wanted to prove that story wrong, that I could have money and that I was going to go to college. And so for me, I thought I grew up thinking, if you go to college, then you have money. Like, right. you know, it, it, there always was like an equal sign. Like if I do this, then I'll have this. And I think that um, sometimes, you know, obviously that, that can get really sticky because it's not an equal sign.
0: Right. Well, and, you and know, from a young age, you learn that, you, you know, you, were, you learned that hard work doesn't equal wealth. <laughs> right yeah and, but you, yeah but then you see other people who are wealthy and you're like okay well that's not meant for me and then it, it begs the question okay well why is it not meant for me and then as a young child you don't have any other examples that lesson becomes there's something wrong with me right and I think a lot of people don't get that just the optics to a young child who's impressionable about those types of things, um, are really have long lasting effects. And it's not just like, you know, Oh, we don't need that. Well, then it becomes like the stories start all interweaving to this really thorny, you know, like a thorny story, you know, Yes, sense?
1: you know, yes, for sure. You know, I have a story about that. So, um, you know, I've done a lot of work on my money story. I've had a financial coach, I've had a business coach. And so I've done right. a lot of extensive work on my money story. I mean, there's more to do, but I have, you know, some really good awareness and healing from it. But I remember, um, with one of my coaches, he asked me, what's the first story that you remember where money was a no, where you, you know, like it, it, it there was a no for you. And I remember my dad was the kind of, of dad who, um, you know, I don't know if you, you know, the age, but my dad had like a pocket full of change. He was like one right. of those where it just quarters, dimes, nickels, <laughs> he just carried it all on his, on his, on his pants. Right. And, um, and I would hear it, right. He would walk and you could hear the change there. And, uh, there was a neighbor that sold snow cones and they were 25 cents back then, back in the old ages. <laughs> <They were> twenty-five <laughs> cents. Um, and I went to my father and I said to him, like, can I have a snow cone? And he said, I don't have money. And I heard the money in his pocket. Like, I heard it. (laughs) He had money, you know? And I remember kind of like being so confused, like, but you do have money. And he was like, no, 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 no. Because that's what he was saying. No, no, no. And he didn't give me the quarter. Now, there's, you know, I've done some, some, work on this right and we could assume maybe that it was maybe not dinner time because you know I don't remember what was happening I just remember that very specific no when I knew there was money and the message was money's not for me right you know Um, and but you know you never know right because as a parent me being a parent now I know you're a parent there are times that you say no because it's not the right time right like maybe you know we were about to eat dinner and you know, he didn't want me to have a snow cone. Maybe, uh, maybe I had already had a snow cone. I don't remember, you know, it's one of those imprints in my mind that is singular. Like, I don't know what's around it. I don't know what the context was of it. I just know, like, if, when he asked me, my coach, what's your first memory? That's what popped in that I asked for a quarter. I knew there was money in his pocket and he said, no. And I felt like, in that moment, even though, of course, in that moment, I probably just threw a tantrum and and got upset. But I really feel like when I examine that experience, the the message is like, even though money's available, it's not for you. It's not for you. And that's the story that I grew up, you know, every time I saw people, uh, you know, I had a college friend who just was very wealthy. And I always thought like, see, It's her, not for me. Like, whatever, she has it, but it's not for me. So I think that that really kind of, kind of, you know, helped create that money story.
0: Right. No, I totally see it. And that's a, you know, I think the research shows that by the time uh, children are seven, their money mindset is pretty much starting to be set by age seven. Wow. Um,
1: yeah. See, and, yeah. and, and by said it seven, you don't understand what's going on. I mean, like I said, if I think about it now, um, it's not that my dad never gave me money for snow cones. <laughs> it's just that that particular time he didn't. And for some reason it stuck, it stuck that little of like hearing the money jingle in his pocket. Right. And the same, it... I don't have any. Right. And I was like, so
0: Yeah, you've made it mean something that maybe it didn't mean, but your mind at that age is very impressionable. And so it's probably, it probably got planted in the subconscious part of your brain. You know, Um, Yeah, I
1: mean, we can't control, right? (laughs) right. (laughs) Especially when we're little, like we can't choose what's impactful, what isn't impactful. It just is. And so I think a lot of times, um, I mean, there's no way around that, right? Because as parents, like, I mean, we're—I know I've said things to my kids that I'm like, "Oh, I hope it doesn't stick." <laughs> I hope right. it doesn't stick because we're flawed, you know. We're, we're flawed too, and and I think a lot of times, you know, we're making decisions based on things that they don't know. They don't know. Right. They don't know why. And so this is where communication is very important. Um, definitely saying mm-hmm. you know saying why I think is important especially with money right because I know a, I, I hear a lot of people and you know I, I try to tell my my husband makes fun of me because whenever he says we don't have money I look at him like what did you just say <laughs>
0: like like we do not <laughs> like, use no. those words
1: in this house those <laughs> words <laughs> do not exist
0: in this house
1: <laughs> you know but and then he's like oh I'm sorry we're overflowing with money but I'm like we just, we don't need to encourage bad stories because we already know that they're going to be there anyway, but
0: we don't need to intentionally add more to it. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, just like every other part of your life, you know, it's all about being intentional in this, in this, you know, in the, Mm -hmm. in the type of stories that you tell your children about money. So you're going to have those times, like sometimes, you know, even with my son, you know, i have even though i struggled so much financially like i was always cognizant of the stories i told him about money so there was never you know i i never say no it's always you know if it's something that's beyond was beyond our reach it was always kind of like okay well let's see how we can make that that happen you know it was always like okay we can have anything that we want. We might not be able to have it right now, but we can have it eventually, you know? Um, Right. And then it's always about like, okay, well, other people can have it. And that's the way I always kind of talk to them. It's like, okay, other people can have this. Other people have it. We just need to figure out what they have that we don't have. What are they doing that we're not doing? What do we need to do? You know? And so I think when you start with like, it's not just in terms of money, but literally like everything, anything that you want in life, it's like, you know, you have to, frame the story that you want to, to be your reality. Right. Instead yeah. of just letting it be being passive. Um, and so that's another reason why your book resonated so much. Cause it's so much about the stories we tell ourselves. Oh my gosh.
1: And yeah, that's why I wrote it because I feel like we all have stories. I mean, all of us, we have yeah. stories. And I think the more that we can question them, You know, like I ask in the book, like there's this key question that I ask myself all the time. And that is, do I still want this to be my truth? Because some of the stuff that we carry was true at one point, right? Right. Like at one point it was true, but as adults, right. And we, and, and I guess, you know, sometimes, you know, teens, you know, like early, you know, in the teens where you start to have a little bit more awareness, you can ask yourself, do I still want this? Like, do I want to carry it? Cause most of our beliefs, most of our stories are passed down. We're, they're passed down from one generation to another. And a lot of us don't stop to ask ourselves, do I want that for me?
0: Right. Do I want that Definitely. to be? True?
1: And so when we ask ourselves that question and the answer is no, then we can start to find ways around that story. Well, you know, and you said, like, when you see somebody else have it, one of the things that I've learned through, you know, through these years is when I see somebody doing what I want to do, I always say, oh, so there's a way.
0: There's a yeah. way. Yeah. If it <laughs> can there's happen a way happen for them, it can happen to me. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I don't remember who says it, but the whole notion of, you know, you are the five people you surround yourself with. So I think one thing as adults with you know, parents with children—that's one thing we can, one way we can really impact our kids is really be cognizant of who they spend their time with. You know, like who are their friends, and try to get them in situations where there was people who are maybe something that the, is aspirational in terms of what the child wants—positive uplifting people and you know I feel like a lot of times we just go through life and we're just like so busy and that we're not really being intentional about those things um but I think it's so important because that for me was the one thing that really changed my trajectory is realizing Mm -hmm. like hey you know I'm the people I surround myself with if I'm around people who are constantly unhappy constantly negative constantly not trying to you know or make excuses for their past then that's the story that I'm going to continue to tell myself but if I surround myself with people who, you know, mm-hmm. who have a better mindset, that's kind of going to rub off on me, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't not change when you're surrounding yourself with people who are change makers, you know, oh, internally sure. and externally. Um, so that's just one thing I think that parents, you know, something tangible that parents can do to really help their kids. And then also just like books and like there's so many resources out there nowadays, I feel for kids to really own their future, you know? Um, and, you
1: know, and here's the thing. If you want your kid to own his future, then you have to own your future.
0: Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> kind of one of the things
1: that I always tell people, like, your kids are not going to do what you tell them to do. They're, they're right. not. They're not. I mean, you didn't. I didn't. No, like we didn't, you know, I mean, as parents, when we look back, we didn't do what our parents told us all the time. Right. Like, especially the real important parts. Those are the parts that we ignored. <laughs> right. so, so our kids aren't, aren't diff- any different. They're going to do their stuff. But you know what they will do? they will follow suit if you're doing it. And I'll, I have a perfect example. So, you know, one of the, uh, you said, it, my mission is to really help women empower themselves and prioritize themselves without guilt and shame. And one of the things that I've been very intentional in my life is to really take care of myself, really self-care, really put my needs ahead of others. And, and not in the, uh, I don't believe it's selfish. I think that I am my best self and I serve other people better when my cup is full. Okay. And, and I've been doing this for a, a, a long time. And, um, my daughter the other day, um, she came to me and she said, mom, I'm feeling really sad and irritable. I don't even know why I just feel so blah. And then she turned around and she said, do you think a bike ride would help me? And for okay. a self-care coach, <laughs> that was Christmas right there.
0: <laughs> hey, <laughs> because, yeah.
1: Because, She has learned, right? Not because I have told her, but because she sees me. She sees me taking care of me. She sees me taking care of my emotions. She knows that when I feel sad, I say, you know, I'm going to go take a bath. I'm really tired. I'm just feeling irritable. Please, I need my space. Like I communicate this to her. And for years and years, I've been communicating since she was little. And she just knew that she had something to work through. And she said, Do you think a bike ride would help me? And I love it. We we went. So your kids are going to do what y- you're doing. So if you want your kid to reach for the stars, guess what? You better be reaching for the stars too. And it doesn't have to be career, it doesn't have to be, but there has to be something that you are modeling right. that teaches them that skill because they're learning from you.
0: So I 100% agree. And so I wanted to get your input. What from your just your years of just being an adult, but also your clinical experience, what could a parent do who maybe isn't at that place of self care, but they have a child? You know, like, what would what what would your advice be to them? Um, Like tangible advice that they can get started on this road to self care? And Uh, what would you say to
1: them? Uh, So I have this, um, this motto that I use all the time for my clients when we start working together. And I always say, we're going to start small. We're going to show up and then we're going to build up. So what that means is that you can't go from zero to a hundred. Okay. Start small, pick one thing you can do. Okay, um, 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe it's going to be that you're going to wake up 15 to 20 minutes before everyone in your home, so that you can, you know, wash your face, brush your teeth in peace. Maybe have a cup of coffee, like whatever that is for you. Uh, maybe you want to do yoga, and you're going to wake up 20 minutes to do like a yoga stretch. Uh, maybe you want to sit out in your porch. Maybe you want to write or read a chapter of your book. Like whatever that is. I actually had a client that woke up earlier um, to to watch reality TV, (laughs) like that was what (laughs) she really liked. And her, uh, her husband and her kids would always make fun of her. And she, it was just like, she just liked to do it in peace. And so she, that was her self care. So self care means you're doing something that takes care of you. So it's, it's reflective of what you perceive as self care, but start small. So we're going to pick something 15 to 20 minutes that we can do. And then we're going to show up every day, and really work on that consistency muscle, okay? We're gonna commit for 30 days to really just prove to ourselves that we're going to show up for ourselves, even if it's just 15 to 20 minutes. When you have that down, and you've worked on that consistency muscle, okay, you're ready for the big guns, right? You're, you're ready to build up. So maybe you move to 30 minutes, Okay. Maybe you incorporate something else. Maybe you incorporate, um, you know, some breathing or maybe a walk or some, you know what I mean? You just build up and you are in charge of saying like, well, I just need 30 minutes. Now I'll, I'm going to warn everybody of your, all of your listeners. Okay. Because it is very addicting to have time for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you will want more okay Uh, so I started out like 30 minutes like I recommend that's how I started when I first started I wake up two hours ahead of everyone in my home uh, to do my morning routine and I do three things in that morning routine I do a um, morning meditation I do a morning journal and I move my body so I do all that and then my family wakes up and guess what? I'm in a great mood. I'm in a great mood. I am not bothered by their noises of, you know, closing doors of the drawers. I'm not annoyed that they're asking me for their shoes for the 20,000 time. I'm not annoyed that like they're loud or they're, they're in a, like, I'm not because I'm in a good place. So, um, so yeah, that's how I would start. Start small, show up, then build up.
0: I love that. Um, And, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, you know, this uh, podcast, it's it's, a lot of it is about impact and the impact we want to have on the world. And what better place to start than with your own family, your own children, giving them the gift of self-care and self-love. I think that's huge. Uh, Something I I feel, you know, a lot of kids kind of lack in a lot of families. Um, So I think that's huge especially as mothers, you know, we Mm -hmm. uh, tend to take care of everybody else. And it's like, oh, wait, there's no time for me. And then you make excuses as to why you're not, why you can't do something for yourself. But then your kids are watching and that's the lesson they're learning, you know, um, to really continue those kind of behaviors. So. Right, right.
1: I I definitely think, I mean, I always think self-care is, you know, I I used to think self-care was selfish at one point, which which got me into depression and overweight and chronic pain and all that horrible stuff. Um, but I really have felt that over the years I've changed my mindset to say self self care is giving because I give so much more when I'm full. I give to right. them. I give to my kids. And you know what? When my daughter said that to me a, a couple of weeks ago, I just it just really solidified why I do this. And that is because you know what? I don't want my daughter to grow up and get married and maybe have kids and completely neglect herself and be in a place of pain. Like I was, I want her to have the tools to take care of herself and be the best she can be and still have kids and still be married. If that's the, the road she takes. Right. But we have to really start to, you know, impact our kids to a place of giving them the tools that are going yep. to help them when they leave our nest, right? Cause we can't protect them. They're going to leave one day and we're not going to be there for all those reminders. They just need to know. And if you model it, then there it's, it's there in the subconscious. <laughs> I tell my son all the time. And I think I told you in our, in our call, I tell him all the time when he kind of just looks at me with glazed eyes, you know, he's 16. So he just sometimes stares at me. Like, I don't know what you're saying. And I'll tell him, <laughs> you don't need to concern yourself with what I'm saying. Cause I'm speaking to your subconscious mind <laughs> because I, I want, that. I want the message to be in there. Um, because that's what you're doing when you're doing things for yourself, you're giving them that impression that they're going to take with them.
0: Right. And I, do, I love the fact that you use the language, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how many parents tell their kids that, you know, that their subconscious <laughs> mind is being programmed, which is what it's happened, you know, it's you're, they're basically being I'm brainwashed probably not the right word but kind of <laughs> yeah, well, I
1: mean yeah I mean they're they're inheriting just the way we inherit it from our parents they're they're absorbing all our stories too you know and so uh, you want to make sure that you know I mean you can't stop that you just can't I mean it is gonna I, I know I tell myself all the time my kids will probably be in therapy for something <laughs> for something that I right. said or you know I mean that's <laughs> just the way the cookie crumbles and I'm okay with it. Um, But I know that um, I I can, I can rest assured that I tried my best because I did model, I try to walk the talk of modeling how to be your best self while taking care of yourself so that, um, so that you have those skills to cope with the pain that life brings your way.
0: Right. And I just, you know, I just want to reiterate that because, you know, I'm kind of the example of what. You know, happens when you don't when you don't learn those things to later in life, and um, you know, it's part of my journey, part of my story. But you know, I I embrace it all now, but for a long time I didn't, and it was hard. You know, so Mm -hmm. I think if we can start when our kids are young and impressionable, and just really show them, like you said, teach them those tools that they need. You know, like they're not gonna have, they're still gonna stumble, they're still gonna have problems, they're gonna have their own things they have to overcome but if you start you know give them those basic tools of uh you know like those emotional how to deal with emotional issues and um I mean there's there's a whole myriad of them but when Mm -hmm. you start teaching them those first by example um and then also by the words you use and how you explain things you know it's it's huge it could be the difference for them yeah Um, whether or not they're able to overcome the obstacles or if they let those obstacles derail them for for a super long time which is kind of where you know how my life went until i just yeah. was fed up enough you know <laughs> right yeah for sure so i just want to kind of start to wrap up um i just really want to encourage the listeners to check out diana's book it's called breaking free And Diana, why don't you explain to the audience why you wrote this book and what they might gain from reading it? Um, You know,
1: as I've said throughout this, I really um, wrote this book for people that needed a way out of pain um, to let them know that they're not alone, that there is a way out of that chaos. There is a way out of those limitations that are keeping you stuck. Um, And so I really hope that, that this book gives you hope and it gives you faith that you can do it that you are enough and that you are capable, um, that all the resources are there for you to get. Now, um, I think when I was writing this book, I wanted people to know that, um, that they're not alone, that they're not alone, that other people have gone before them and have broken free from their limitations. And like I said earlier in the podcast, that means that it can also happen to you.
0: Seriously, I love the book, Diana, especially the stories. Um, many of those, like I said earlier, I could really relate to. Um, so I definitely, like I said, want people to go to Amazon, and get your book, because I think it could be really impactful for people. Uh, where else can people reach you?
1: Yeah, so they can, um, you, they can check out my website, uh, Diana Gintu, which is G-U-I-N-T-U speaks at, dot com. Um, You could get my book there as well. Um, and you could also, uh, follow me on Instagram. It's Diana G underscore speaks, and I'm under Diana into in Facebook.
0: Great. And, um, I'll put the links to all of your social media as well as to, uh, your book on Amazon. Thank you Thanks. so much
1: for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it and I appreciate the opportunity.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you got anything positive out of the conversation, do you mind leaving us a five-star review on iTunes? Doing so will allow other parents to help their teens create a life of fulfillment and joy, abundance and impact. Until next time, don't forget to help your teens skip the lunch line and live life on their own terms.